My name is Paige, and I'm the host of All the Things That Keep Us Up at Night. It's a true crime podcast with eerie events mixed in. I'd love for you to join me and let me tell you all about the spine-chilling, hair-raising events in true crime history, as well as cases that are currently developing. You can also join the podcast group on Facebook, All the Things That Keep Us Up at Night podcast, and follow the Instagram at All the Things That Keep Us Up. If you'd like to send a suggestion for an upcoming show, feel free to email me at All the Things That Keep Us Up at gmail.com. Stay safe, stay healthy, be aware of your surroundings, and don't end up being a subject on my podcast. The Oracle Look deeper. This is True Consequences, a true crime and mystery podcast with stories based in New Mexico in the American Desert Southwest. Today's promo is All the Things That Keep Us Up at Night podcast. Just a couple of quick announcements. I'm happy to announce that True Consequences is now part of the Oracle Network. Check out all the amazing shows on the network by going to theoraclenetwork.com. That's the O-R-A-C-L number three network.com. I'm doing weekly live streams on getvocal.com every Thursday night at 8 Mountain, 10 Eastern. I will be discussing episodes, doing Q&As, and I'll even have some special guests on. Come hang out with me on Get Vocal. Oh, and did you know I have True Consequences merchandise out there? Get your La Llorona shirt or your True Consequences hoodie today. You can find links to my merch store at trueconsequences.com. And if you buy any Justice for Jacob item, half the proceeds go to the New Mexico Coalition Against Domestic Violence. If you enjoy listening to this show, please rate, subscribe, and review on your favorite podcatcher. True Consequences is listener-supported. To support this show, go to patreon.com slash trueconsequences. To keep up with all my updates, you can follow me on Facebook and Instagram at trueconsequencespod and on Twitter at trueconspod. This episode deals with issues that may not be suitable for all listeners. It deals with issues of child abuse and child sexual abuse. Listener discretion is advised. If you or someone you know is a victim of sexual assault or abuse, please call 1-800-656-HOPE. That's 1-800-656-4673 to be connected with a trained staff member from a sexual assault service provider in your area. Justice seems like a concrete idea, one that is universal. But is it really universal? Does it apply equally to everyone? The idea seems simple enough. You do bad things, you have bad consequences. That's what I used to believe. That's what I want to believe. But is justice truly just? I'm starting to think that maybe it isn't. I know, I know, this is super naive of me. But I want to believe in the justice system so badly. I do. I want to have hope that people who do bad things will pay for it. Even if it is much later. Because if that isn't the case, Then what does that mean for countless families 
waiting for justice for their loved ones. What does that mean for my family? What about the super rich and powerful? I think we can all agree that for them, justice is often watered down and pales in comparison to consequences for poor or even average people. Why do we continue to accept this as a society? Aside from the occasional head shake and tongue click, what can actually be done to change it? The case that I'm covering today is a tough one. Jeffrey Epstein was a disgraced multimillionaire who was convicted of sex trafficking minors. He built a huge network of girls around the world that he would use for his sick sexual desires. He would then turn those same girls into recruiters for him. He preyed on the poor and the vulnerable in a brash and bold manner. Jeffrey was allowed to continue offending even after he had been caught with ample evidence and plenty of eyewitness accounts. His victims in his original case were never given the justice they deserved. This is the perfect example of the rich and powerful leveraging their wealth to water down the justice system. This case is beyond frustrating, and you will hear my guest and I get very upset about it. Today's episode is extra special for me. I am joined by my friend and fellow podcaster from Malice, Ariel Cooksey. Ariel is one of the co-founders of the Oracle Network. Her show, Malice, takes a deep look at issues of true crime, and it's great. You can find Malice anywhere you get your podcasts. You should definitely give her a listen. Okay, let's now dive into the horrible, vicious, mysterious story of Jeffrey Epstein. I'm Eric Carter-Landine, and this is True Consequences. Okay, good afternoon, good morning, good evening, whatever time it is, wherever you are listening to True Consequences today. I'm your host, Eric Carter-Landine, and today I am joined by an extra special guest, somebody who I've had the pleasure of being on her show a few times. And finally, I was able to extend uh, an invitation for her to come on to this show. And I couldn't be more happy to have this person here today to discuss this case because I definitely did not want to do it by myself. It is a huge one and it's a doozy. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Ariel Cooksey from Malice as well as podcasts, the podcast, as well as what else? What am I missing? How many more? Doc picks. (laughs) (laughs) Doc picks. And four others in the works. But it is what it is. It's fine. It's fine. I don't have a problem. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Eric. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks for being here. I am super excited to have you on my show finally. I know it's been in the works for a couple months now. And you know what? Perfection takes time is all I'm saying. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've been wanting this to happen since you first reached out to me. I remember uh, when you first messaged me on Twitter and we started talking and kind of going through some some conversations on how I could, you know, help you on your show. And and uh, it's kind of evolved into this awesome thing. And now I am on your podcast network. It's true. Oh, my God. (laughs) network isn't it the best (laughs) it is the best i'm very happy to be a part of the team and uh so far it's been it's been great for true consequences it's been great for me so thank you for the opportunity that's so good and that's that's really what the whole thing was was meant to do is basically just you know we wanted to create sort of a confederation of indie podcasts and 
not change them and not charge them. That's bananas to me to find out that there are networks that make their members pay dues. That's yeah. a thing? what? Why? I don't understand. Like we we don't want to change the content. We don't want to to we don't want to touch the money that people have coming in. Like we really just feel like by promoting and cross promoting each other um, and supporting in every way that we can, that it's going to be best for everybody. There's, there's room for all of us to be successful. I'm happy to give you my negative money that I've been getting from this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> if you oh, want it. Same. Hard same. <laughs> I mean, I've got a few, like not quite a handful of, of Patreon users at this point in time. And it is beginning to offset the cost of, oh boy. Um, probably the pop screen on my mic yeah yeah <laughs> that's about I mean, where I, we're at <laughs> i've got a good i've got a good amount of uh, patron patron subscribers and i and i love them dearly oh yeah um, and they're definitely helping offset some of the costs but i'm still in the red i'm not complaining about it don't get me wrong i am so happy to be able to produce this show and bring new mexico specific content to everybody For and sure. really uh, hopefully start to make a difference in some of the crazy stuff that's happening here in my state. So as you know, this is a true crime and mystery podcast focused on New Mexico, as well as some areas surrounding New Mexico, but mostly New Mexico. Mm-hmm. And and as a result, um, we're talking about a huge case today. This case is really global. Yes. It's, a, it's a global issue. But there are there are tendrils, there are branches, there are roots in New Mexico that um, made me feel like this was something that I, I should talk about on this show. And, and also just the level of atrocity, if that's the right word, that has occurred as a result of this person. It needs to be called out, as well as the people that were complicit in, in helping this person. Uh, they, need to be, they need to be called out too, so... Absolutely. And thus far, we've seen precious little of it. So, yeah. All right. So I did all this like build up all this lead up into this uh, mysterious case and without actually saying who it is. So I would like to give you the honor of announcing who we're talking about today. Oh, thank you so much. I hate it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we are tackling and I love that you used the word mysterious because we are talking about the mysterious Mr. Epstein. Yeah. Jeffrey Epstein, to be clear. Giant scumbag. In most ways. In we'll almost every it. way. We'll yeah. get to it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm going to start. I'm going to go a little bit out of order with this story. Um, mm-hmm. So bear with me. But, you know, feel free to jump in. Feel free to contribute whatever you I know you're well versed in this case. Sure. Uh, and I was telling you before we started recording that I feel like I don't want to say unprepared. I just feel like this is such a big case that I don't think we're going to be able to get to all of it in right. this recording. So um, I think that both of us will have some recommendations for listeners if they want more information um, that we can talk about at the end of this episode. But so in. February 1993, mm-hmm. there was a corporation, uh, we'll call it a shell corporation. Mm-hmm. They started making negotiations with the state of New Mexico's Bureau of Land Management to take over some land grant leases that were 
previously owned by a former governor of mm-hmm. New Mexico. And throughout this whole process, it was very mysterious. Nobody really understood who was actually acquiring these land grant leases. And at the same time, the same shell corporation was making a purchase on a significant piece of land, thousands of acres, just east of Albuquerque uh, and just south of Santa Fe in, in New Mexico. And so for those of my listeners that are not from here, this area of New Mexico is called Stanley. And it's a really tiny, I wouldn't even call it a town, maybe a village. Um, so in Albuquerque itself, for those of you that have listened to the show, you know, uh, if you haven't been here, that Albuquerque sits in a valley. To the east of us, there are some giant mountains, which are part of the Rockies. Uh, they're called the Sandias. And then just on the other side of those mountains, there are several communities. You can get to Santa Fe a couple of ways. You can get to Santa Fe through I-25 from Albuquerque, or you can go behind the mountain and drive up to Santa Fe that way. So Stanley was kind of closer to Santa Fe than it was to Albuquerque. It's about an hour drive from Albuquerque, probably a good 30 minutes from Santa Fe. And it's a very remote part of New Mexico. It's just on the uh, other side of the mountains. It's a little bit more flat, um, but it wouldn't be necessarily as flat as Texas. So you still have some hills, some desert. It's really a beautiful area. So this company purchased thousands of acres as well as negotiated the acquisition of these land grants. And within a couple of years, a 50,000 square foot mansion was built on this land. Mm-hmm. And the people that lived in the town really didn't know what to think about it. Uh, the person who owned that mansion really didn't show up very often. And when he did, he typically would show up along with several bandfuls of young, beautiful women. I'm just going to leave that there for now. Um, yeah. Um, can I can I make one caveat? Absolutely. Young, beautiful women and children. Right. So from the outside perspective, I think they might have looked like, you know, maybe they were old enough to be right. consenting. So so that's definitely I understand that this person had other proclivities for yeah. younger women. So we'll it's it's, it. it's likely that uh, that they were underage. Uh, yeah. But for, from the outsiders, they they just notice these beautiful girls yes. showing up at this mansion. Certainly. Um, the mansion itself had a landing strip, a private landing strip for an, a private jet. It had a helicopter pad as well as just tons of other things going on there. It's huge. 50,000 square foot in New Mexico is not that common. Mm-hmm. We're we're a pretty poor state. Uh, the majority of our residents are very either poor or middle class. And there's a handful of people that are wealthy. And then there's a lot of people that are wealthy that move here and buy ranches. You know, we have the Ted Turner Ranch. Mm-hmm. Um, we have Julia Roberts. She lives in Taos, New Mexico. She's got a huge ranch. Uh, Val Kilmer. There's just a ton of outside money that has come in. And Epstein was no different. So this was his home that was being built. Um, he did use a shell corporation. And I think that a lot of wealthy people will do that to keep it secret so that people don't really get wind of what's going on um, or what they're doing personally. Uh, so I think it's a pretty standard practice for that to happen. It's just it was just interesting to me the way that the deal was approached looking yes. at it from the outside. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, and I think it does kind of lend to the idea of this person being a very secretive and somewhat, I guess secretive is the right word, secretive person. I would think so. 
Yeah, um, there's sort of a, um, it, it's hard to use a word like secretive because it seems so innocuous. You know, it's it's not a preferred state of things, but at the same time, I, I would almost say like a covertness. Covert. I like that. I think that's a good way to, to describe it because it does seem that way. You know, when I buy a house, I definitely don't have shell corporations that do that for me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, it, does, it does lead one to wonder. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk a little bit about Epstein, who he was, where he came from, and then we'll get into some of the crazy stuff that happens. Sure. Uh, he was born in 1953. Uh, he lived in Brooklyn, New York with his family. He was raised lower to middle class. His family really didn't have a lot of money, and they were living in a, in a lower class neighborhood off of Coney Island right. when he grew up. Uh, he, was, he went to public school, and there's several accounts that claim that he was very intelligent. And then there's a lot of accounts that claim that he really wasn't that intelligent. And I don't know what to believe. Okay. I, I, my gut feeling and, and what I kind of gathered from all this research that I did was that maybe he was not as smart as he led people to believe, but he was really good at convincing people that he knew yeah. more than he did. Yeah. And I mean, the very definition of a con man, um, that it comes from the expression, a confidence man, somebody who can manipulate people into having confidence in them. Exactly. Um, and I think that he was truly versed in that. And I, I think maybe more so than like, bookish intelligence i think he may have just been cunning and maybe really good at understanding people and what makes yes. them sick. right yeah right so he grew up in uh, brooklyn he moved to manhattan and started working after after college at the which he didn't graduate college he dropped out but he started teaching uh, physics and mathematics at the dalton school which was an extremely high-end exclusive school for only the wealthiest and yes. the most notable of the Upper East Side of Manhattan. Yes, this was what um, I would refer to as a status school. Basically, all of the elite in in New York would send their children to the school. There were legacy children. It was the kind of place that if you were anybody, who was anybody, your child would go to this school. And you would think that in an institution that was so highly regarded and had so much money that they were working in from these um, parents who were donors, et cetera, you would think they could do, I don't know, not just a background check, but maybe a degree check to make sure that their teachers <laughs> were qualified to teach. Or maybe a psychological interview <laughs> to I'm, determine if he's a sociopath. <laughs> I mean, ideally, yes. But <laughs> I would think a simple, hey, can you show me a degree in the subject you're going to teach would be a start. That'd be a good place to start. That'd be a start. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he started teaching there in 1974. And he only taught there for a little less than two years. He was right. let go for what school officials have deemed uh, poor performance, but there really was not a lot of explanation as to what that meant. And at this time, there were rumors going around the school mm -hmm. about him being inappropriate with young girls. Exactly. And frankly, I think that whole performance-based release thing was because of the, the, the status of the school. They didn't want to report that there were mm -hmm. untoward things happening. And, you know, the fact is, is that knowing what we now know about Jeffrey Epstein, he basically picked a job in which he was going to be working in, in a target rich environment. 
For sure. You he know? placed himself there on purpose. Exactly. That was not a mistake. He he was like, yeah, I'm going to drop out of college, but I'm smart enough to convince people that I'm smart enough to teach at this really prestigious school. Also, it boosts him up the social ladder. Or he doesn't have to, to be the guy from that lower, lower middle class slash higher working class family. He is now part of that upper echelon. He's rubbing elbows with the people that are moving and shaking the yes. world at yes. the time. 100% yes. Yeah. And I'm sure that did a lot for his ego, right? Because um, now he's suddenly in control of these people's kids. Oh, for sure. And in some ways, it was it was almost his first official, like in a f- official capacity, his first grooming ground. And sort for of sure. per- perfecting, you know, his his lure, I guess. For sure. So once he was let go, he had developed this relationship with the chief executive officer of Bear Stearns, which is an investment firm in uh, New York City on Wall Street, uh, Alan Greenberg. And because of that relationship, he was able to somehow convince Greenberg of his superior intelligence and was able to get a job at Bear Stearns. Right, right. And that's that's another instance in which I was like, somebody dropped the fucking ball, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this guy has been an unqualified teacher and is now an unqualified banking trader. trust stock trader guy in this very, again, a very prestigious firm. Yeah. And very regulated industry as well. Yes. So he, he starts at a low level and quickly starts to move up uh, okay. based on his quote unquote skills. His <laughs> <laughs> inherent understanding of greed and what to do to acquire wealth. Right. And I think just manipulating people in general. For sure. It's a great skill in that trade. So from 1976 to 1981, he worked there until he was asked to leave because of a violation of some regulations related to stock trading. And there really, (laughs) yeah, there really isn't anything that's that I could find that was very clear about what that actually meant. And even if there was, I probably wouldn't understand it. So (laughs) I'm just going to leave that there. Exactly. (laughs) And I'm right there with you. And at the same time, I sort of feel like all these nebulous releases from employ are suspect. Red flags for me, for sure. Fucking flags. I mean, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, yeah, we're on the same page. Yeah, well, I've been a hiring <laughs> manager in several, you know, capacities and, and several jobs that I've had. And right. um, if somebody came to me looking for a job and they were like, yeah, I was just let go for, quote, whatever, I'm not hiring you. I don't. <laughs> right. And, and look, there are certain things that people can be let go for that you're like, all right, that's not really pertinent to what we do or, mm-hmm. you know, but if you, if it's something like theft or embezzlement, if it's something like miss, uh, I mean, like I say mistreatment or, you know, whatever inappropriate conduct. Look, if, if, if there's a charge, if there's a, a reason for your release that has something to do with like uh lack of performance at a school, I mean, Look, at the best level, given both of those things, that, like, these people let him go for a completely different reason than these people let him go, I'm looking at that and going, do I want to take a gamble? Nope. Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So he probably sensed that, and he started his own um, consulting firm after that. Yeah. And started to work with a bunch of clients that had a ton of money 
and he would start to basically hunt down people that owed these these people money and and collect it. Uh, and he was able to recover a lot of uh, embezzled funds for clients. And he seemed to be pretty good at that. At the not, same time, he started. Go ahead. I was just going to say, it's not terribly surprising that he was able to ferret out people who did the exact same fucking thing <laughs> he did. You know, it's it's like, look, and and I I apologize to my own view, my own listeners for this all the time. But just as an example, Ted Bundy helping to find the Green River Valley killer. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, yeah, of course he's going to know what to look for. Because he's the same thing. He's exactly the same thing. Yes. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. Please carry on, dear. <laughs> okay. So, you know, the rest of this thing kind of just goes on and on and on. Um, he eventually started a business relationship with billionaire Leslie Wexner, who is known mm-hmm. for owning or being the CEO of the limited as well as Victoria's secret and all these other. And back in the eighties, you know, those were huge businesses and and they're still big businesses, but I think they've changed a lot with the uh, online uh, revolution in terms of retail. Wexner really trusted Epstein so much that he gave him the keys to his Manhattan apartment. Yes. And an apartment is an understatement. Yeah. It's a seven story building in the Upper East Side of Manhattan. Which which would cost more money than God has to rent. I think it was referred to as the largest residential property in yes. Manhattan. Yes, it is actually. Like that is in fact the largest residential property in Manhattan. That's insane. So I, mean, I know uh, I know like the um I'm so I'm so sorry. The no. uh, the Olsen twins, right? They had yeah. um, apartments in New York City that were very, very nice. And they paid like over a million dollars a month in rent there. Insane. Insane. Yeah. So, I mean, seven stories? Really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. No, fine. No, it's fine. It's fine. It's Don't huge. worry about it. <laughs> it's massive. It took up like almost a city block i mean if you look at the pictures of this place it is the definition of sprawling yeah and and the relationship between wexner and and epstein really evolved and it it sounds like from what i can determine that epstein really did help wexner get out of some tight financial situations that he was entangled in um so by 1991 Wexner granted Epstein complete power of attorney over all of his affairs. That's insane. But yes, he did. I mean, I guess he trusted him. He felt like he helped him out. I guess guess that makes sense. Uh, I would I would be wary of giving anybody power of attorney. (laughs) and I don't have anything. (laughs) Right. One hundred percent. You know, and and what's interesting about that, um, I, I feel like. You know, there was an interview with uh, Jeffrey Epstein. Basically, it was in, um, let me see if I can remember this, August of of 2018, I think, August or September of 2018, where he basically unapologetically talked about the fact that as as a sex offender, a registered sex offender, people just felt comfortable telling him their innermost secrets. The things they didn't want anybody to know, you know, and he even referred to it as like, yeah, these secrets were way more innocuous than things I was involved with, involved in. And yet it could ruin people if that came out. And so, 
he just mm. sort of was he was sort of a collector of secrets and i think that that'll be important down the line as we talk oh he's like that guy from game of thrones <laughs> the eunuch yeah exactly <laughs> you know and and it's not it's not i'm just gonna throw it out there it's not just game of thrones eunuchs and uh, uh in general like okay so eunuchs in ancient rome were typically the most trusted people uh yeah. to to anyone who is in charge and you know to further that you know you can look at at people in uh for instance medieval all the way through uh you know probably 18th century england the person who was who was in charge of of the privy chamber which mm -hmm is a toilet and wiped the king's ass that person had the king's ear and also heard all the juicy stuff from the king and so they did wield a lot of power i think it's a, a fair what's the word i'm looking for Ariel? <laughs> comparison wow that yeah. took a lot yeah. longer than it needed to it um, took a I, lot shorter than you think it did okay <laughs> <laughs> uh, i think it's a fair comparison here because you look at this this person epstein who was basically raised in unremarkable circumstances in an unremarkable life and his ability to network and to get people to talk to him and people to trust him who had everything that he wanted served him well and led to him getting the massive amount of wealth that he ended up having uh, later on in life. Yeah, definitely. So Wexner decided he wants to build this wealthy utopia in Ohio of beautiful homes, giant, massive estates uh, in a place called New Albany, which back then, outside of Columbus, back then really wasn't anything. And he put Epstein in charge of managing this entire affair. And part of that came with Epstein basically getting a home there i don't know that he paid for it or if he did it probably wasn't what it cost for that home um but he did end up having a residence in new albany right a lot of other stuff starts to happen um there's i kind of want to leave some of this here and move into some of the allegations sure let's do it it's it's basically important to say i think that from from this relationship with wexner he was able to uh really build his wealth and not only his his monetary wealth, but also uh, property and status. He was now able to interact with some of the elite people uh, in the top one percent of the U.S. and the mm -hmm. world. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, so we're gonna fast forward quite a bit. Um, we're gonna go to two thousand and five. Yep. So in in two thousand five, there's a, a young girl who lives in West Palm Beach, Florida. Her parents find some money that they didn't know where she got it from. It was about $200. And they start asking questions. Mm -hmm. And she's very resistant to give any information for a while until they right. finally wear her down. And she says, well, yeah, there's this old rich guy that uh, gave me this money to give him a massage. Right. Uh, red flags <laughs> everywhere on that. Yes. Uh, Palm Beach Island is 
very different from West Palm Beach. Palm Beach Island is where the wealthiest of the wealthy in Florida live. Right. Uh, massive mansions. It's very exclusive. Uh, mm-hmm. People that live in West Palm Beach, if they're poor, they've probably never been to Palm Beach Island. Exactly. Yep. Epstein has a home there. Yep. And he is actively <clears throat> recruiting young girls, uh, poor young girls yes. in this in this city. And it's just it's horrendous when I when you think about, you know, the toll that he he played on a lot of these people's lives. So oh, it is. Yeah. So it starts with one girl mm-hmm. and she goes, she gives a massage. Uh, he had this whole routine down and it's very uh, consistent with every single report from everybody who interacted with him at this level. He would come in, he would have his towel around him, he'd be on the phone, and he would just lay on the massage table and direct the girls to start rubbing his feet and his legs. And as he's talking, you know, at some point he turns over, the towel falls off, he's uh, lying there completely naked, he he convinces the girl to get naked as well, and then starts to sexually assault them. Mm Mm-hmm. It's important to state that these girls that we're talking about are typically between the ages of 14 and 16. Yes. Yeah, we are we are literally talking about girls. This is not that's not a euphemism for, you know, gals or chicks or no. This is these are literal children. And what would happen is after the ordeal was over, he would basically pat them on the back, say, "Hey, you did a great job. Here's $200. Thank you so much." Oh, and by the way, if you want to make some more money, how about you bring me some more girls? Right. Which I'm sorry. <gasps> oh, I just. <sighs> it's so bad. It's it's. And and you know what? The 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 hard thing about it is, is you would think like these girls would just go. Yeah, no, of course, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to put somebody through what I went through. But the fact is, is did, was it a question? Was it really? I mean, you're talking to girls whose parents are drug addicted uh girls who are living in severe poverty right who, who have no options some of them were even you know relatively living on i would say on the streets but you know orphaned um bouncing around from foster care to orphanages and and those right. kinds of things so the exactly. most vulnerable girls yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah i and, mean I, it is it, Again, it, it just it just infuriates me because even even insisting that these girls find him other victims, that's that's a form of victimization. What are they supposed to say? No. Yeah. How in the world are they going to tell this billionaire who's connected with all of these people? I mean, for fuck's sake, in this fucking New York City and I'm using, you know, inverted commas, right? Yeah. Apartment. In this place, these girls would come in with their escort, the girl that recruited them, and then that girl would have to be basically, she she would have to leave the scene. And this girl who'd been brought there would have to traverse this hallway, this really mm-hmm. long hallway that was basically filled with these giant portraits of Jeffrey Epstein with all of these powerful people, you know? presidents and um royalty he royalty he wasn't there was a picture of him with the pope yep you know i mean how much higher does it get 
this is a person who is considered to be a conduit of God on earth. Like, you look at that kind of power and you just go, like, what, I, can I say no? Is that even a possibility? And, and in most of those cases, we're, de- we're dealing, like you said, with 14 to 16-year-old girls. We're not even talking about full-grown full women, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, they're, they're basically being groomed the entire way into that room with it's horrifying, and I can't imagine what it must have been like for them when they realized that it was turning into something that they did not sign up for. Absolutely. Um, and, and you know, I, I don't have a lot of patience for people who blame victims. No. So, uh, that. No. So, so go ahead and, and miss me with that bullshit uh, yeah, here you. because I don't, I'm not interested in it. Uh, these, are, these are girls. These are, are poor girls who really could use that money and yeah. for and for him to wield that and the power over them is disgusting to it me it is disgusting no there's there's there may be other words for it but I, I i think that's about as appropriate as it gets so this kind of unraveled a whole pyramid that he had built up a whole network of girls and right. there's ev- there's evidence to back all of this up yep uh there are uh, phone memos, messages that were left from some of these young girls. Um, the dates and the times match up with the dates and times that they gave uh, in their statements. Absolutely. They all they all described uh, the winding staircase that went upstairs. Yep. They all described uh, the the room where this happened. They right. all described the same behavior. Right. And they all described his genitalia. Yes. And there it is. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about that for a minute. Let's do. <laughs> um, so, go ahead. Eric, Eric, let me ask you something. Yeah. Um, have you ever, I mean, y- you were a high school guy. I mean, I'm sure that like locker rooms or like swim parties or sleepovers whatever the fuck you know what i mean like as kids you know you 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 see a peen or two right mm-hmm. yeah have have you ever seen a <laughs> um how should i poetically put this have you ever seen an egg-shaped penis egg-shaped penis i egg-shaped, can't say that i have like like teeny on top and just a little bit <laughs> on the end there have you, is that <laughs> I can't no? say that I have. I can't no. say that I have. Uh, <laughs> but all of these girls have. You're joking. Tell me everything. <laughs> so that was, I think that gave a lot of credibility to their story. Right. Uh, the fact that they all described this peculiarly. <laughs> this, this, it's misshapen, <laughs> misshapen penis. Yes. Um, so the police really start to investigate this case and right. and they start to, they uncover dozens and dozens of victims in this just in this one town right yeah 100% yeah so I mean, they're like talking numbers yeah and so they go through his trash they they find all these uh corroborating pieces of evidence and they have a solid case from all Outside view, it looks like they have a solid case here. Right. So they present it to the U.S. Attorney's Office there in Palm Beach. Right. And things take a weird turn. Oh, and I want to so talk- weird. 
I want to talk about this for a while because I think yeah, it's let's. it's uh it's unheard of. Maybe I, it's not unheard of, but so I just want to give a little a little um just foray into for a moment um agreeing first of all agreeing to do this case which I was super happy to do. I belong to uh an organization uh I'm a, a board member actually it's a national organization um that combats um domestic violence through the celebration of survivors um mm-hmm. that's a really a really big thing for me uh it's called choose courage foundation if you want to look it up but also i have a background uh working with traumatized individuals and so that has ranged anywhere from medically fragile children all the way up through adults and so this this was a huge fucking deal to me when this happened and when this broke. Um, until this point, I had no idea who Jeffrey Epstein was. Like not not even a little bit. I was he was not on my radar, right? Sure. And I think probably by design, would you say so? I would agree with that. Okay, but apparently he's pulling a lot of strings from behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, from from my standpoint, it's it's just sort of like the only person in the room more powerful than the person who has the most money is the person who can't be bought. Right. And at this stage, we haven't found it. Right. So, okay, go ahead, Eric. I'm sorry. I just had to put. No, I think that's a that's a good call out. Um, So a lot of this stuff that we're going to talk about now really didn't get brought into the spotlight for a long time after it happened. So I want to put that out there. Yes. Um, So the police create this pretty airtight case. They turn it over to the U S attorney's office. Right. And in some kind of weird twilight zone situation, the U S attorney's office begins cooperating with the defense team in a way that has previously been unheard of. To the point where, as they're drafting the indictment, mm-hmm. they are sending it to the defense team for edits. Which, I'm sorry, I have never heard of that before. And I'm not coming at that from an unformed standpoint. First of all, I have plenty of experience working on the. Um, uh, what would you call it? the the litigating t- mm-hmm. uh, side, the litigation side of the courts, in terms of things like abuse, neglect, um, sure. family violence, etc. So, um, yeah, I've never, never heard of a prosecution team sending these things to the defense for their approval. Not just approval, but edits. <laughs> edits like what the fuck so it's not even like hey are you guys good with this it's like hey what do you guys want to change with this exactly yes and i mean seriously what the fuck like i i I don't have i it's not even a question it's a comment it's it's just a straight up statement what the fuck i just don't get it um for me i would venture to guess that there were some people in that office that had a lot to lose uh Um... and Yes. (laughs) And Epstein had a lot on them. That's just my opinion. No, that's that's exactly we're on the same page there. 
I mean, yeah. I don't see any other reason how or why that would have happened. Unless Ooh. they were bought. And that's also a, a possibility. Which is more disturbing to me. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, because they wouldn't have had any emotional or or status reason to buy in. They would have right. just been like, oh, shit, he's going to pay us? Yeah, fuck yeah. So from this whole interaction mm-hmm. and uh, cooperation, the U.S. Attorney Office agrees to a deal of non-prosecution. Right. Um, as well as reducing the charges from sex trafficking, which is what the fuck they were. That was exactly. sex trafficking. Absolutely. Uh, from sexual uh, abuse of a minor, which is what the fuck it was as well. Mm-hmm. To one misdemeanor count of prostitution with a minor. Which is not a thing. No. 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 It's not a thing. Look, guys, if anyone thinks that prostitution of a minor is a thing, the fact is is that a child can't consent. Prostitution, or as I prefer to call it, sex work, right? The sex trade, people who engage in transactional sex. These are individuals who are fucking adults. Right. Okay. And they may be coerced into it. And I don't, that's not good. I don't, I'm not here for that. But the fact is, is there are people who opt in to do those types of things for money for whatever their purpose is. And some of them are quite noble. So I don't, I don't negate that. I don't look down on that at all. But the fact is, is that a child can't fucking consent. That is not child prostitution. It is fucking child abuse, child sexual abuse. So sex trafficking and child sexual you. abuse. Yes. And and so this this whole thing is just it makes my blood boil. It makes me so mad. Um and it gets even worse. So as part of this sweetheart plea deal that was struck between right. the defense and the prosecution, mm-hmm. uh, a few other things were were added to Epstein's uh list of demands. Oh, One of the God. things that was included in this was that the victims would not be notified and would not be looped in on what was happening. Because absolutely what the fucking fuck. And Which I is cannot, illegal. I, I cannot, I cannot be nice about this. That is illegal. It is unethical. And for fuck's sake, as if these girls, these children have not been traumatized enough, you really are just going to leave them out of the fucking loop. Yeah. It's so they amazing. had no idea. They had no idea that their abuser was getting this insane deal. And they they yes. all thought they all thought that the prosecution was on their side. Yeah. And they should have been. Well, yeah, of course you would think, right? One would think. Uh, this non-prosecution agreement just blows my mind. And I have copies of all these things that I'm going to post in the show notes so people can check right. them out. If they want to read all this stuff, it's it's insane how many documents are out there related and, to this. You know, and look, I, I'm I'm a big fan of, and I don't I don't mind saying this. Um, they're not on our um, our label, our our podcast network, but um, real crime profile. Um, Jim Clemente is a, a former 
FBI BAU, so the Behavioral Analysis Unit, he was a, a former criminal profiler. And, you know, he, he basically, in looking at this, he's a former New York City prosecutor, right? That was, that was his job, was to put people like Epstein away. And when he found, about, found out about this sweetheart deal, he was like, I have never, never in the course of my time as a prosecutor or on the FBI, I've never seen a detail, like, a, a, a deal like this. Never. This is, it, this is unconscionable. It is outrageous. And it violated a specific law, which is the Crime Victims Act, which states that victims have a right to be reasonably protected from the accused. Absolutely. They have the right to reasonable, accurate, and timely notice of any public court proceeding or any parole proceeding involving crime or of any release or escape of the accused. They have the right to not be excluded from any such uh, proceeding, which is what happened. Unless the court determines that the testimony by the victim would be materially altered if the victim heard other testimony. That's the only reason that you would not loop in the victims. Right. Right. Um, they have the right to be reasonably, reasonably heard. Uh, they weren't given that. They weren't allowed to speak to Epstein. Right. Or to the court. Right. Um, and I mean, they have that. I'm look, I'm so it, sorry. It's I'm so no, sorry. It's a, Eric, it's I, insane. Know, I know that that on this podcast, typically you try to steer away from really polarizing things, including foul language. And and again, oh, I there, cuss a lot. There's there. Well, I know, hun, but like you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. It's it's just uh, there is there is just zero way I can be nice about this. There's none. I can't. I cannot be kind about this. I cannot offer compassion. I cannot. Even my own podcast, uh, Malice, one of, okay, one of my podcasts, Malice, I, <laughs> I look at that, I, I try to approach, I mean, the victims, of course, are easy to relate to, but I try to approach the, the perpetrators with a, a, a lens of radical empathy in that I want to understand and feel compassion for them up until the point that they commit these heinous acts. Right. Because up until that point, we can see a lot of ways in which they've been failed, etc. But yeah, no, I have a very, very hard time with this one. I just, I just can't. I just don't. I can't. Another part of this act states that the victims have a right to reason to confer a reasonable right to confer with the attorney <laughs> for the government in the case. Right which they were also denied that uh, the office of the U.S. attorneys had no interest in discussing any of this with the victims. And they signed away illegally uh, in this non-prosecution agreement that happened. So he did go to jail for this, for his one count of child prostitution. That's not a thing. No. Uh, and, and when I say he went to jail, I'm going to put that in air quotes. Right. Because he was allowed to leave his cell for 12 mm -hmm. hours a day to work mm -hmm. in his office mm -hmm. in Palm Beach. Seriously, what the I can't. Oh, my God. And and look, there were there were people. They say like, oh, no, look, there were people posted up outside the home. Yet not every entrance and exit. Right. We have no idea what was going on inside that home while he was, you know, quote unquote, uh, working. 
No clue. I just, yeah, it's, I'm sure he continued to offend. Oh, I have no doubt. I have no doubt. I mean, he, he had so much money that, I mean, who it's, it's almost who could not be bought. Right. You know, right. and, and I, I hate to feel that way, but I mean, for, Look, there are all kinds of reasons. I'm not I'm not gonna even say that like the people who are bought out were like the worst fucking people in the world. You could be somebody who's in financial trouble and you're trying to take care of fucking four kids. You know what I mean? And and you look at it and you're like, hey, he's offering me offering me whatever twenty grand to just look the other way. Like that's a that's a big fucking deal, right? Yeah. And and so you have to weigh your priorities and you have to just kind of like make peace with your ethics. I get it. I do. I don't agree with it and I couldn't do it. Legit. I would I would just be like I nope. I can't. I would I'm the kind of person and and this is not this is not a moral high ground kind of a thing. This is just like a passion kind of a thing. Like if somebody was threatening somebody that I loved, you know, and they pulled a gun or whatever, I'd be the first person who'd just be like dive in front of the goddamn bullet because mm-hmm. I will I will throw down on that person before they're gonna touch a hair on the head of somebody I love, you know? And and I yeah. So let's talk about his attorney for a minute. Okay, <laughs> One of his attorneys. Do. Let's do because I need a breather. <laughs> <laughs> um Alan Dershowitz might oh. sound familiar to some of you. Fucking Dershowitz. Uh, he, yep. He was the lead counsel in this whole scenario. Uh, he is very famous among celebrity trials, and he's been in several high-profile trials, including O.J. Simpson. Um, he has a lot of experience helping rich people deal with their legal issues. He also uh, represented Jim Baker back he did. in the day. That's true. Mm-hmm. So you know, definitely has uh experience (laughs) helping people wriggle out of tough situations and uh whether it was legal or not i think it was not legal he was able to convince the u.s attorney as well as the other attorneys that were involved in this case and there were several others um to to offer this deal and and honestly the victims really didn't find out until much later that this had even happened. They were still right. under the impression that everything was in process and that they were still going to get their day in court, which they never right. got. No. And and that's that to me is one of the most frustrating and egregious parts of this whole thing is that they were sitting there thinking, I'm going to get a day in court. I'm going to be able to tell this fucking asshole the impact that he's had on my life, my family's life on so many others. And it was, it just skirted by like they didn't, they didn't even get notification until it was already signed. It was already enacted. Yeah. So as you could imagine, because there was no real consequence for his actions, um, he continued to offend. And I would even say that he probably started to escalate uh, what he was doing. There's one victim in particular her name is Virginia Roberts. Um, yeah. Her last name's different now. She's um, she's married, and I think she's living in Australia with her husband. She was 16 right. when Ep- Epstein recruited her, and right. she jumped right in, you know, and started helping to bring girls to him. She brought tons of girls, but yeah. he also used her, and he would do things like he would take these girls that 
that he liked and he would fly them around with him and they would go all around the world. It was either going to be the ranch in New Mexico called Zorro Ranch or the uh, townhouse in Manhattan or his private island in the U.S. Virgin Islands that he owned. But she is very adamant and I, I believe her that he lent these girls in such a gross way to say it. I'm sorry, but there's, that's just how she describes it yeah. to politicians, to yeah. uh, famous people, to yeah. the uber wealthy and to royalty. Yes. And that and is fucking disgusting, by the way. It, Yeah. And, and everybody that she's called out and she's called people out by name. Mm-hmm. Everybody that she's called out uh, has denied all of these allegations. Of course. Uh, one of the most high profile ones is uh, Prince Andrew of oh, the British royal family. Oh my oh God. This fucking piece of shit. He did yeah. an interview that was one of the most cringe worthy things I think I have ever, ever tried to watch in my life. Did you did you see the interview with him, Eric? I didn't, and I really didn't want to watch it because I <laughs> uh, I don't want to. I don't care what he has to say, honestly. He, no, I I don't either. And at the same time, I was just like, okay, asshole, let's see, let's see what your excuse for this shit is. And the fact is, is that the the Prince Andrew interview. Um, there's a reason why Mommy Dearest decided to pull his birthday party the mm. following year. Look, when mommy pulls your birthday party, that means you've done some serious shit. Okay? Wow. That's not it's not great, okay? Is is just what I'm what I'm getting at. Um the point of the matter I think is is that you know, he first of all claimed he was never there for mm-hmm. things in which he was pictured. Right, never mind there's a photo of you hugging her. Yes. Yes, and but um, the fact that he is basically saying, like, look, it, this, this, I don't know if that's my arm. I mean, yes, that looks like me. That looks like me in the picture. Shut up. Like, he said that? He 100% said that. Oh, I'm my not, God. I'm not. Jo- I couldn't make this shit up. So, yeah, no, he 100% was just like, well, I mean, yeah, the, yes, that's me. However, I, I mean, I don't, you know, somebody could have altered it. I don't know that that's my hand. I don't, I don't know that that's my arm. Uh, and oh in God. the same, in the same fucking picture, you're like, fine, take the hand and the arm out of it. You still have your crotch pressed up against her. You're hip, still you there, fucking piece of with shit. Her. Nobody takes an awkward picture. With your fucking crotch up against someone. That's not yeah. that's not awkward. That is catching you in a fucking nasty, perverted moment. Like, unless yep. you're in a consensual relationship, that shit's not fucking okay. And I think she was 16 <clears throat> at the time that picture was taken. 100% she was. Yes, you're right. You are right. Mm-hmm. I, I, uh, th- there's so much infuriating. And, and... He okay, so the interviewer did a wonderful job. She really did. Unfortunately, she was under the strictures that she had to be respectful of the royal family. And so she had to continue calling him your highness and prince. And um, you know, but basically she gave him 
so many outs. She gave him so many outs. Like, do you feel any regret about your friendship with Jeffrey Epstein? And his response, you want to know what the fuck his response was? What? He responded, well, no, I mean, not really, because, you know, it gave me so many opportunities that I would not necessarily have had otherwise. So, you know, it was, there was a connection with people who've really caused me to grow. And, and you're just sitting there looking at him like, are you kidding? This was your opportunity to say, yeah, I'm fucking disgusted. I had zero idea and I cannot shower enough to get the filth off of me. Yeah. And he, he just he just fucking was like, no, they're great opportunities. As if being goddamn British royalty doesn't give you the same fucking opportunities right. as this fucking pedophile. Are you joking? He's just full of it, I think. And no, for um, sure. I'm sorry. I'm losing my shit. And it's because <laughs> this is this is <laughs> this is very close to my heart. So I am it's, so sorry, dear. No, it's it's fine. It's you know, it's hard to not get really angry about this. And as I've been researching this, I've been very angry. Uh, just the injustice of it, but also right. the fact that these rich and powerful assholes. Uh, felt like they were above the law and felt like yes. they were able to do whatever the fuck they want to whoever yes. they wanted with it with impunity like his as secretive and as manipulative as Epstein was he was mm -hmm. also very brash and yes. like he called his fucking private jet the Lolita Express I mean I mean if if nothing is gonna lead you to the idea that he is a fucking piece of shit that should do it. That's disgusting. That is some bullshit, yes. So he was almost like brazen in his misdeeds. He was almost flaunting yes. it. Like, I got away with this. You guys can't touch me. I'm untouchable. Right. Um, and that part of it makes me so mad. Oh, it makes me fucking sick. It makes me fucking sick. Like, uh, how disgusting a human being do you have to be before you look in the mirror and go hey bro maybe I should not be so goddamn consciousless like I, I don't I don't know I don't know I, it, it angers me on every single level and the fact is is that yeah I, I, I have people on my show you've had people on your show yeah. like that you are topics let's say topics on our shows that um, are horrible they're just yeah. horrible. They are. Like, there's nothing good about them. If you're, if you are a subject on a true crime podcast, there's nothing good about what happened to you, right? Right. Either way. Right. I mean, there's just not, it, whatever you went through, if you survived, you're a fucking badass. And if you didn't, it's, it, you you were handed the the worst fucking stick on the relay is all i can yeah. say so you know but when you when you look at these things like that's one of the it, this case is one of the worst i've come across because people just kept giving him a pass he just kept getting away with it for yes. decades and yes. and he started long before these girls in Florida and even before New Albany. Uh, and, you know, I would probably guess that he started when he was at the Dalton School, maybe even before that. Yeah. But he had been doing this 
for decades without any kind of consequence. And when he did, when he did actually get some level of consequence Mm -hmm. in 2008, it was not, it was, it was shit. And then, and then part of this whole plea deal, the worst part about all of this, I mean, all of it's terrible, but then all of these documents were sealed. Right. And Epstein wasn't even in prison. He was in the stockades, which was basically a jail. jail. Yeah. And he only he only served, quote, served 13 months uh, and then was released uh, after for that uh, after that for house arrest. But he still was allowed to go to Manhattan and the Virgin Islands and New Mexico and all these other things while he was on house arrest. So, like, what what was that? No, I, I'm. I it's it's baffling to me too. I I do not understand. I can't. I cannot um, begin to try to put that into some context that makes sense. Yeah. So all of this was kept under wraps until 2018, when uh, the Miami Herald released this scathing three-part series mm-hmm. about this plea deal, and uh, somehow. I'm not sure how this reporter did it, but she got access to everything and she laid yeah. it all out there. So between yeah. 2008 and 2018, in those 10 years, he was able to continue offending. He was able to shuttle girls from the mainland to his private island, uh, partnered with this gross French model agent guy, um, was using him to find French girls and and Eastern European girls and right. um he had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of victims around the world. And I think the total count probably will never be known um, because there's so many, I mean, what kind of pedophile has that amount of wealth and power to be able to do that on that level, on a global trafficking level? Like that is just mind blowing. It is. And, and it just, it just lends, lends to the idea. It is fucking unconscionable this man had no conscience none and fuck everybody who helped him so let's talk about that for a second thank you very much yes let's do so uh at some point in his life he meets a woman named galaine maxwell oh my Uh, fucking god okay so let's talk about galaine maxwell galaine 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 Gislaine. Gis- <laughs> I mean, honestly, who gives a fuck? So <laughs> let's just keep it to you know. Let's, let's listen. Try I try. I try to not be misogynistic. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But I mean every word of it when I say this fucking bitch. Thank okay. you. Okay, so this bitch. This bitch was born it. on Christmas morning <laughs> in 1961. Yep. Yep. <laughs> uh, she is a British socialite, or maybe she was, I should say. She's also the daughter of a publishing tycoon, failed and disgraced publishing ty- tycoon, uh, Robert Maxwell. And she was for a while known as Jeffrey Epstein's girlfriend for a minute. For a minute. Yeah. Hot. Um, and then they they decided that they were actually better to not be romantically involved, probably well, because he's a fucking pedophile, maybe. Yeah, I, I want to say by them, I think it was him who decided they were not because she 
was she like was in love with him. She was a goddamn lap dog. Let's be real. She was in love with him. Yeah. yeah and for and sure. I've heard I've heard accounts of her telling her friends that as much. And then just as quickly as she fell in love with him, she was just as quick to say, oh, we're just friends. We're just business partners. And she slowly became uh, kind of his right hand person in every way. Yeah. And I'm I'm pretty sure that, you know, his motive in meeting her had more to do with her uh, wealth and her family's wealth than right. really anything else, um, because obviously he wasn't going to be attracted to her since she was much too old for him. Yes. Yes. So this bitch. Um, yeah. So this bitch. She. <laughs> I just. Uh, she's just the most despicable person, you know, in this story, aside from Epstein in my mind, just because of what, of what she did. Yes. Um, So there's a story of one of the earlier victims of Epstein. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she was an artist in New York um, and she had an art show. She was studying art. She was just really focused on that. She, This girl came from Kentucky. She mm-hmm. knew from a very young age that she wanted to be an artist. And she knew from a very young age that she wanted to be an artist in New York. Right. And so she moved to the city after high school. Uh, she, I think, lied about attending art school in the beginning because she couldn't afford it. I think um, yes. And so she started to just kind of slowly find her way she started creating art and had an art show well epstein and Ghislaine show up at this art show right and Ghislaine approaches this girl and says oh yeah jeffrey just loves loves this painting of yours and have you seen the painting i don't know that i have i'm going to describe it to you and then i'm going to encourage you to look it up okay uh, this painting shows a man standing in a doorway in his boxers okay look looking on at a girl looks like a young girl who is asleep on a couch okay it's very ominous so basically it's it's really eerie when you think about it in the context of epstein uh, and and you try to figure out why he liked this painting like it's obvious it's this creepy man like pervin on a girl on the couch so this was her thesis show he decided he wanted to buy it and also said that he wanted to take her under his wing and start mm-hmm. to help her develop her art. Um, she was commissioned to do some art for some feature films. And sure. so he's like, hey, I have a great idea. How about you come to my house in New Albany? Actually, this is all from Ghislaine. So Ghislaine's like, why right. don't you come to his house in New Albany? Right. You can totally, no one's going to be there. You can paint. You can yeah. do whatever you want. It's going to be sure. wonderful. Meanwhile... He's fucking grooming her sister, her little sister. Oh, my God. Um, so gross. And he assaults her. He took this girl to New Mexico. He took her everywhere. Uh, and he tried to assault Maria, but she uh, fought back. She called her dad, told her dad to come for her. And um, he drove all the way from Kentucky to Ohio to pick her up. And it wasn't until after everything was over that she found out that her sister was attacked by him. And her sister, I think, was 14 at the time. Holy shit. Um, they tried to report it. Nothing happened. Oh, my God. So Ghislaine was instrumental in getting uh, not only this woman, but her sister 
LinkedIn with Epstein. So they had a habit of doing this. They would find somebody who was promising and talented, whether it would be an artist or a musician. They would say, hey, we're just patrons. We want to help you. We want to, how about we pay for your school? Like they did that with a celloist. They're like, we'll pay for your school. Um, We'll help you get set up so that you can meet everybody that you need to meet so you can be successful in the music scene. And they tried to, you know, Epstein tried to attack her. She she didn't go for it. So then uh, Ghislaine convinced her that she needed to go apply at Juilliard, which she didn't want to do, but she right. did anyway. Right. Uh, they convinced her to do this. This is a, a different girl. I feel like I'm sidetracking a little bit, but I just kind of want to throw these all out here. Um, this, this is the one that made my blood boil. So this girl goes to Juilliard. Uh, Epstein's paying for it. They now tell her the condition of her education continuing to be funded is that she needs to start recruiting girls from Juilliard for Epstein. And disgusting. Yeah. She refuses. And Ghislaine says, you know, we can make life really bad for you. you. You don't have to do this. You can have a great life, whatever. Suddenly, after she refuses to do it, she's dropped. Epstein stops talking to her. Ghislaine stops talking to her. And she gets hit with a multi-thousand dollar bill from Juilliard. A school she didn't even want to go to. She had a, sorry, she had a full ride to another music school. Yeah. And she could have uh, qualified with her skills and her income for 100% tuition at Juilliard as well. Yes. So Ghislaine is this like disgusting human being who mm-hmm. has completely sold out every sense of moral conscious that she might have had for Epstein's disgusting desires. And yes. I have no respect for her at all. Right. No, I'm right there with you. How can you do that? And and I don't know what kind of life Ghislaine lived prior to that. Um I, I, I know it was a life a life of privilege and it was a life of, of comfort. Um and the fact that she just went out of her way. So when all of this broke in 2018 from the Miami Herald, mm-hmm. um, she was implicated as being a, a huge part of this operation. Sure. Uh, and it makes sense how he was able to get these girls with their guard down. I mean, you get approached by a, a sweet talking British woman who seems fancy. Right. right. Uh, you're going to be disarmed by that a little bit. Sure. So. Sure. It's just, yeah, I, I wanted to talk about her because I just feel like she's so gross and uh, complicit is is not doesn't even begin to describe who, what she was. She no. she was she's completely culpable no, in, for this, sure. in the scenario. I'm, um, I'm with you 100 um, percent. So, Eric, um, I feel like we've covered a, a lot of, yeah. of this case. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you feel like we we maybe need to do like another episode? I think we might need to do another episode. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> I'm gonna wrap it up with a couple of other other things um, sure. for for this uh, episode that we're doing. Or ep- I, I want to talk about when New York. <laughs> <laughs> so New York State decided to file charges because, as you know, he committed these crimes not only in uh, Palm Beach Island, but right. also in New York, also in New Mexico and other places right. around the world. And because uh, because the plea agreement was sealed and because the law was violated in that plea agreement, right. New York, New York was able to file charges against Epstein. Right. And this and this happened in let me just see. 
I believe it was right after the bombshell of uh, the Miami Herald. Okay. And and it led into 2019. But okay. uh, Ep- Epstein was arrested. He was charged. He was placed in in uh, prison at Rikers, I believe. And he he was charged and and rightfully so. Finally, yes. ten. Yes, you know sure. what is that like? 14 years after the fact. Yeah. Of, right. Of the first allegations I mean, that were. It's insane. It is. It really is. He mm-hmm. was serving his sentence and then he uh, he died. Right. And the official cause of death was listed as uh, suicide. But uh-huh. I don't necessarily believe that. Yeah. Um, I don't and I'm, I I'm don't not a conspiracy theorist. I'm not that no. guy. But no. I think I that. you're not. <laughs> I think that Epstein had a lot of information on a lot of very powerful people. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. And I think he was a danger to those people. And I think those people uh, saw to it that he was no longer a threat to them. Absolutely. It's too suspicious. Like how does the camera that is on all the time suddenly not recording? How was he left uh, while he was on suicide watch, not being watched? Like right. none of that makes any sense to me. Uh, right. There are a, a lot of people in his address book. And there are a lot of people on his flight records that uh, would want to protect themselves. You've got big names on there. You've got uh, Bill Clinton. You've got yep. uh, Prince Andrew. You've got Donald Trump. Donald Trump. You've got um, so oh Bill Gates. Yep. Uh, on his flight records on the manifest, yeah. you have. Former New Mexico Governor Bill Richardson. Yep. Uh, you have so many powerful people around the world who are linked to this man. And yeah. it would make sense that they would not want him to be able to talk about what he knows about them. And I'm sure he knows a lot. Oh or he God, knew. For sure. For sure. No, you're absolutely right. So there are countless victims here. I mean, hundreds yes. of victims. Yes. Many of them are not known. Um, one of the things that to circle back to New Mexico, and then I think we can wrap it up here, but, um, one of the, one of the things that really bothered me was the fact that in New Mexico, um, he should have had to self-identify as a, or register as a sex offender because of his crimes. Yes. Um, Thank you. Absolutely. but what happened were was there there were a couple of loopholes that he was able to take advantage of that allowed him to not have to register. One of those loopholes is the age of consent in New Mexico. You, I believe, have to only be 16 in New Mexico to consent, which I think is is wrong and should change, number one. Mm-hmm. The other thing is if somebody moves from another state where they've been convicted and have had to register as a sex offender, there's no law in New Mexico that requires them to register here. That's weird. So, That's so you can yeah. So them. you can move here, and and basically get away with it. <clears throat> so that is changing. I think legislators are working on that as we speak. Uh, I know that coronavirus has kind of slowed that process down, but I know that they want to close those loopholes so that that doesn't happen again. So if you want more information about this case, I'm going to make a couple recommendations here. Um, awesome. Look at the Miami Herald expose that's very thorough i would encourage you to read that and and watch some of the videos associated with that and there's several podcasts that are very well done one of them is the mysterious mr epstein but i think that there's a couple other ones that you might recommend ariel 
the number one that I could give you, honestly, there is a 14-part series done on True Crime Profile. Ariel, I, I just want to thank you for uh, helping me get through this horrible case. I oh. don't think I could have done this without you. So I'm very grateful that you're here. And and yes. so with that, with that, I'd like to say stay safe, New Mexico. And stay safe, everybody else who isn't in New Mexico, because I have a lot of listeners elsewhere. Thanks again for listening to True Consequences. Follow us on social media. On Instagram and Facebook at True Consequences Pod. And on Twitter at True Cons Pod. True Consequences is hosted, written, and produced by me, your host, Eric Carter-Landine. Thanks for listening, and stay safe, New Mexico.